Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for this morning that you've given us to come and to glorify you and worship you and to hear from your word that it would enrich our lives, that we would grow and help your kingdom to grow. So we ask that the truth of your word would be spoken this morning and the truth of your word alone be remembered. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. It's a calm day in Galilee. A light breeze flows along the beach as hundreds of people gather to hear the man called Jesus of Nazareth speak. As the audience grows and draws in and crowds around the one whom they've come to see, the man Jesus steps up into a boat and looks at the people. He sees in each of their eyes there's a sense of longing and wonderment. There's an aura of anticipation that fills the air. A singular question begins to bounce around between person to person. Could this be the one? Could this be the Messiah? The man standing in front of them has been seen among the cities. Rumors have gone forth spreading and te uh, about his teachings and his healings. They say he has cast out demons. They say that he's cured every disease under the sun. They say that he's even made the lame to walk and the blind to see. And yet, the man they see before them, standing in a small rowboat on the Sea of Galilee, seems quite ordinary. He's neither ugly nor handsome. He doesn't look like royalty as they expected the Messiah to look. He wears no crown upon his head. He bears no purple cloak over his shoulders. He does not walk around with an army behind him, but 12 men. And not 12 of the best or brightest, but fishermen and tax collectors, ordinary people. Surely this can't be the Messiah King that Israel's been waiting for, the Messiah King that would free them and liberate them from their Roman oppression. So is this just another pretender that's come up throughout the years? Or is this somehow the kingdom of heaven standing before them? Well, Jesus knows the thoughts of the crowd and as he begins to speak, he chooses ordinary words to declare extraordinary truths. In the distance, he sees a mustard tree looming tall and wide out in a field. Among the crowd, he sees bread being passed from one to another as the hungry begin to eat and listen to him speak. As he looks around him in the, in the sea, boats are coming in with merchants with fish and pearls and other fine things that they sell for money. Jesus and the crowd are standing among a scene of purely ordinary life. And it is through these ordinary things that Jesus begins to reveal the extraordinary nature of the kingdom of heaven. In each of these parables that we hear Jesus speak this morning, there's a common thread of hiddenness in each of them. The kingdom of heaven has indeed appeared to the Jews, but not in the spectacular and flashy way that they thought it would happen. Each of these parables shows how the kingdom can be easily overlooked despite the powerful reality that it is present even to us today. Jesus is giving us not just a vision of the kingdom through these parables, but a vision of our mission in that kingdom as well. So Jesus begins saying, consider the mustard seed. Although it is the smallest of seeds, when it grows, it becomes a tree so large that birds begin to gather and nest among its branches. Well, those on the beach begin to wonder, well, if this Jesus is king, why is the kingdom so small? 
with the towering presence of the Pharisees in their temple and the nation surrounded by the pagans on all sides, why is Jesus just walking around with a mere 12 men? But what Jesus is saying to the crowds is that despite how small the kingdom looks right now, it will not stay that small. Did not Israel begin with the one man, Abraham? Will it not begin again with the one man, Jesus? And we know for a fact that the kingdom has grown. The church has expanded throughout the whole world. It has drawn in the Gentiles and invited them to roost in the tree that is the church. Jesus is using this same image of birds flocking to a tree that we can read in Daniel and Ezekiel that was prophesied beforehand that Israel was always meant to reach the ends of the earth. So what about us today? Here at Christ Church, we are also a part of that kingdom of heaven. We are part of that one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And after 11 years, we too have been planted in the ground like a mustard seed right here in Avon Lake. Though we seem small now, our presence has not gone unnoticed. We're already beginning to do big things. And as we continue to trust in the Lord and pray for revival, as we have been for months, for years, we can, with the Lord's help, become that great mustard tree that gathers in the lost around us. The kingdom's mission is always directed outward to the lost, and so that is our mission as well. So we must ask ourselves, how are we trusting in the mustard seed? How are we being faithful in the little things? How are we preparing to be faithful in the big things that are yet to come? Well, Jesus continues, consider the leaven in the flour. Now, this is perhaps the most ordinary of his parables because everyone would have made bread in their own home. But when you add yeast to flour, you don't immediately see its effects. It's so small and so insignificant that you mix it in there and it disappears. It's not obvious to the naked eye what the chemistry is happening in that moment. The work of the yeast is almost invisible. You could watch for hours before you realize just how much the dough has risen. The kingdom works in a similar way. There's a hiddenness to the growth. Just, a little, just as a little yeast permeates a whole loaf of bread, so too does the singular Christian permeate the world around them in which they live. They work in an almost unseen way. And this too, like bread, takes time. It's rarely ever an immediate success. In our world, I think we're so vulnerable to that temptation of impatience that everything has to happen now, has to be big and immediate, and it has to happen tomorrow. But that's not how the kingdom works. We have to come to terms with the reality that sharing the gospel is becoming less and less like the, the heydays of Billy Graham and the Crusades. It's becoming more and more each and every day. The growth of the kingdom happens in our personal relationships, in those individuals that are around us, in our schools, at our stores, at our workplaces, next door in our neighborhoods. So we ask ourselves again, how are you participating in the growth of the kingdom? Now, you may think that your individual witness is insignificant. You may think that you sharing the gospel with someone is just a mere drop in the bucket. But Jesus says otherwise. God can transform the hearts of those around you in unexpected and amazing ways. In our parable, the woman put yeast in three measures of flour. Do you know how much that is? 
That's 60 pounds of flour. That's enough to make bread to feed all of us here and feed us all again on Sunday next week. That's the potential that every single one of us has to give growth to the kingdom. And it's not just for professionals. It's not just for those of us who wear dresses on Sunday morning and walk around with collars. I recently saw the survey online that asked people how, they, how did they start getting to church? What got them in the door and what kept them going? 8% of people said that they went to church because the pastor invited them or they saw an advertisement. 8%. 86% of people said they came to church because a friend invited them. The work of the kingdom happens through people like you. Like the 12 disciples, God delights in using ordinary people for extraordinary growth. But all of this is moot if we have not received the gospel for ourselves. If we haven't received the promises of God, how are we expected to share them with others? We will be like a seed that does not sprout in the ground. We will be like dead yeast that cannot give life to flower. The life of the kingdom cannot grow through spiritually dead witnesses. The parables of the hidden treasure and the pearl of great value are great reminders to us this morning and to those on the beach listening to Jesus that to be a part of the kingdom of heaven and its ministry comes at a great cost. The man who finds the treasure in the field is likely a poor farmer, just doing his daily work plowing his field. Though he does not have much to sell, he sells it all and gains that which he's found. Now the merchant shopping for fine pearls sounds like a rich man. He probably has plenty to spend. And yet he spends every last coin that he has on one pearl because he knows its value. Regardless of your circumstances, the lesson is the same. To follow Christ will cost you everything. What's more extraordinary is that both of these men have the exact same reaction when they find their treasure. Both are immediately affected by what they have found. So much so that they stop what they're doing. The farmer lays down his plow, and the merchant puts down his wares, and they both go and give all that they can to gain what they found, and they do it with great joy. This is what the gospel does to those who find it, who truly find it. When they stumble upon it, whether they stumble upon it like the farmer, or they diligently search throughout all the religions and ideologies of the world, like a merchant searching for fine pearls, it is the incomparable beauty of the gospel that completely transforms the hearts of those who encounter it. It rearranges our priorities. Once the gospel transforms our lives, we can't settle for being mere humans. We have to become, as C.S. Lewis says, mere Christians. You stop being a roofer. You start being a Christian roofer. You don't carry on being a lawyer. You become a Christian lawyer. Whatever is ordinary in your life becomes a means, a way for God to show his extraordinary nature through you. When Jesus Christ becomes your Lord and Savior, everything else in your life becomes a way to glorify him. Nothing remains ordinary. This is how we participate in that obscure and hidden growth of the kingdom work. In our everyday and ordinary lives, we share the gospel with those around us. This language that Jesus says of selling all you have, that's an image of total discipleship. 
It's a way of Jesus asking, are you all in with the kingdom and the kingdom work? And so I ask you, have you sold all that you have? Has the gospel of Jesus Christ become a priority in your life? Are you leading others to this great treasure also? If so, good answer. But I would commend you to stand firm in your faith. Living the Christian life is no easy task. Our final parable this morning serves as a warning that we're called to not just believe, but to persevere in this life. Once we have gained that incomparable gift of the gospel, we have not finished the race. We've only just begun to take our first steps. There is no instant salvation apart from a lifetime of perseverance and faith. At the end of the age, we will be judged and God will separate out the faithful from the faithless. As Paul warns us in his letter to the church in Corinth, he says, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Now, this isn't to say that we can't have assurance. This isn't to say that we can't be absolutely sure of the promises that we have in Christ. But what it is saying is that we should not cheapen the grace of God to give it less value than what it actually has. We cannot take it for granted. It has to mean something in our life, and we have to do something with it in our life. It's also a warning that it's not our task to sort out the real Christians from the fake Christians. We're called to live faithful lives, not waste our lives away trying to figure out who also might be faithful. So I ask you, are you too busy sorting fish when you should be a fisher of men? Well, as a crowd on the beach, having listened to all that Jesus has said this morning, begins to decide whether or not this ordinary man really is the Messiah, we can rest assured knowing that he is. For from the moment of his birth to his death and resurrection and his ascension as king, the reign of heaven has begun. The mustard seed is growing. The dough is rising. And now people have to answer for themselves. Will they follow Christ or not? Many of the Jews in Jesus' day did, could not recognize the kingdom for what it is. They rejected Christ to the point of crucifying him on a cross for claiming to be the Son of God. They didn't want this ordinary man standing in the boat, no matter how undeniable his teachings or his miracles were. They could not see the extraordinary kingdom hidden in its ordinary appearance. They would rather wait for their conquering earthly king than accept the king who conquered death upon a cross. And not much has changed in 2,000 years either. We live in a world that has tried so hard to rule out the extraordinary, to discount the miraculous, to throw out the spiritual in favor of a world that is purely ordinary and utterly rational. This should not be a discouragement to us, however. Even as we look around and see that we are surrounded by a world that appears on the surface to be ordinary through and through, I am reminded of the words spoken by the great Presbyterian theologian R.C. Sproul. He once said in a lecture that when the one who himself is other and different touches that which is ordinary, it becomes extraordinary. So how are you joining in the work of the kingdom? How are you letting God touch and use the ordinary moments of your life to do the extraordinary work of the gospel? Let us go forth this morning, submitting and inviting the Lord to work in and through us for that faithful growth of the kingdom here on earth and especially where God has placed us. Amen.